Father, as we gather here together a few days before, um, before we celebrate the birth of your son, we are just so mindful of the need for, for Jesus. And Lord, as, even as we sit here now on the longest, longest night, the shortest day of the year on this very day, uh, we realize that there's a lot of darkness that just desperately needs you. So we pray for your presence to be felt, Lord, in our own lives. We pray for your presence to be felt in our country. And Lord, we think specifically this morning of the families of the two New York City police officers who were killed yesterday. Lord, our hearts join with their families and we pray for your mercy on, on them, Lord, that they would feel your presence, that they would feel your, your love for them. Father, I pray just for the broader tensions that are in our country that your peace would prevail. Lord, I pray for our homes, that your peace would prevail in our homes um, and just in our personal lives. I just pray, Lord, that the reality of Jesus would make all the difference in the way that we look at the world and in the way that we act in this world. Father, I also pray for our teams that are going into the inner cities around here this Christmas day and, uh, and just carrying um, representations of your love in the form of gifts and food. Father, I pray that you would bless them, that there would be a lot of joy on Christmas day because of the things that go out from Jacksonville Chapel. And we pray for your, your blessing on that. Lord, now we give ourselves to you. We pray that you would speak to us and that we'd be wise enough to listen. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're taking these few weeks around Christmas, um, I would say to declutter our brains a little bit. Because uh, for most of us, when we hear the word Christmas, our brains start to kind of chatter and buzz with songs and food and traditions and memories and smells and obligations and expectations and plans. Not that any of that stuff is, is bad, but it's distracting. And so for these three weeks, we're trying to rewind the clock and put ourselves in the shoes of people who never heard the word Christmas and who never even heard the, the name Jesus before. And so we're asking the question, when they heard this news, how did it affect them? And then what could that mean for us? So last week we started with Joseph. This week, let's try to put ourselves in the shoes of Mary. I always feel like when we bring up Mary, we need to do some extra decluttering because there are so many traditions that are connected to Mary. Um, and I think the danger is always that you go to one extreme or the other. So the one extreme is that you, uh, you can make Mary into something that she was never meant to be. So you can, you can talk about her and, and relate to the concept of Mary almost as if she's on a par with Jesus. Um, and when you do that, um, not only is it not supported by the Bible, but Mary would not have supported that because everything in her life was subordinate to and supportive of Jesus. She was all about Jesus. The other extreme, though, is that you can downplay Mary so much that you basically ignore her. And sometimes I think we non-Catholics almost feel a little threatened by Mary. You know, we say, well, we don't talk about her, you know. <laughs> you want to hear about her? Go down the street to the Catholic Church. They'll tell you about Mary. One person even said, Mary seems so Catholic. Um, <laughs> do you realize that we know more about Mary from the Bible than we know about um, a lot of people? In fact, I would say in the New Testament, outside of Jesus, Peter, John, Paul, out of those characters, besides those, we probably know more about Mary than anyone else in the New Testament. Just think for a minute. Um, we know her husband, Joseph. We know her relatives, Zachariah and Elizabeth. We know a song that she sang called the Magnificat. We know that when she was pregnant, she traveled from Galilee to the hill country to visit Elizabeth. And then later she traveled from Galilee to Bethlehem to give birth. 
We know that she and Joseph dedicated their baby boy Jesus in the temple. We know that um, she visited, that the family visited the temple with Jesus when he was 12 years old. We know that Mary went to a wedding in Cana after Jesus had, had grown up. We know that she was at the crucifixion of Jesus. We know that she was one of the first Christians. She was with those first Christians in Jerusalem in the book of, of Acts chapter 1. We know that at least one of her sons, James, became a major leader in the early church. I mean, this is a major character in Scripture. And by the way, she's the one person in all of history chosen to give birth to the Messiah. So we'll talk about that a lot more today. But so if we ignore Mary, then we're missing way too much. So we're not going to idolize her. We're not going to ignore her. Let's give her the attention that she deserves, and let's really learn from, from her example. So um, Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 26. It says, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. When I read this par uh, passage, Mary seems just so human to me, because she doesn't get it at first. Um, she struggles with it. She even challenges it a little bit. Um, just like us, right? And yet through her struggling and her questioning and her challenging, something really amazing happens. So as this conversation unfolds, I see three big things that Mary had to respond to. Um, so the first thing, first question we'll ask is, how does she respond to God's grace? And this is going to come out a little more as we talk about what the angel said to her, but the concept of grace is incredibly important to understanding the Bible. So here's the basic idea of, of the concept of grace. It's a Greek word, charis, C-H-A-R-I-S, and it can be translated grace or favor, or it can even be translated gift. So whenever you hear about grace in the Bible, it's always talking about something that's given, not earned, not deserved. Probably this week, most of you are gonna receive something that's wrapped and that maybe has a bow on the top, somebody's gonna hold that out to you, here's what you will not say. What do I owe you for that? <laughs> right, you take a check or just cash? How, do I, how can I even this up? Completely insulting, right? Because when you're, when you're offered a gift, all you have to do is what? Just say thank you and receive it. I mean, that's just, that's just what you do with gifts. The encounter that Mary had with this angel is all about God's grace to her. So with that as a little prelude, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, 
to a town in Galilee. I think for a lot of us, we're so used to hearing Jesus of Nazareth that we think Nazareth was kind of a prominent place, right? It was not a prominent place at all. Um, in fact, up until now, the action, if you'd been reading along in the book of Luke before this, the action takes place in Jerusalem. Jerusalem's the capital, that's where the temple is, that's where the leaders are. I mean, that's just the place that, that uh, people are used to hearing about. And so it's, it's like the scene shifts and it's like, well, meanwhile, out in Nazareth. Like, um, give somebody just a little interaction here. Tell me a, a town in New Jersey that you view as kind of obscure and kind of hick. You'll offend someone, but this will be fun. Tell, what's a town in New Jersey? Oh, Sussex, okay. So you just offended, people from Sussex, she just offended you. So this would be like a story that's, that's placed in New York City, and then they say, meanwhile, out in Sussex. And it's like, oh, out there, you mean there's people out there? They have civilization out there? Um, so Mary did not get this assignment because she came from a key influential city, and, and so she really knew about things. And then verse 27 says, the angel came to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph a descendant of David, the virgin's name was Mary. So we talked about this last week. In that culture, it was common for a girl to get betrothed, which was like engagement, but a lot more serious than engagement, um, very young. So Mary probably was 13, 14, 15 years old, and she was betrothed to a guy named Joe. Honest, hardworking, but nobody out of the ordinary. It's not like he was studying to be a rabbi. It's not like he was, you know, known for his brilliance or his wealth. Joe, the blue collar contractor from Sussex. That's who she was engaged to. <laughs> and of course, we don't know what, what Mary looked like, but that hasn't stopped people from trying over the years to depict Mary. So just because there's such a rich history of this, let me just put up on the screen a couple of the famous uh, depictions of Mary. Um, this, this painting is from Philippe de Champagne in the 1600s. It's called the Annunciation. Um, it's a beautiful painting, right? I'm not sure that it captures the youthfulness of Mary as well as it could. She looks like 40, right? And she, she, was, not, she was not that. Um, here's another one. This is from Matisse. Again, beautiful painting. I think probably misses some of kind of the, the, um, the commonness and the youthfulness of Mary. This one's a little bit later. This is from Henry Tanner, done in 1898. I think this is closer to reality because she seems a little more simple. She seems a little younger, a little uh, bewildered by what's going on, right? Um, and then this is the actress that played Mary in the Nativity film that came out a few years ago. I think they did a pretty good job capturing her simplicity, her youthfulness, and, uh, and just what the Bible reveals about Mary. So, verse 28, the angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Now, a lot of people, when they've read this, they say, well, can't you see how special this is saying that Mary is? And I would always say, well, yeah, sort of, yes and no. Um, let me kind of demystify it a little bit. The Latin word for greetings is the word ave. And so that's where we get the phrase, Ave Maria. It just means greetings, Mary, right? Um, and, and so uh, it's, it's a, it was a simple greeting. The English word for greetings is the word hail. And so that's where we get the phrase, hail Mary. And there are always a few guys going, it's not a football term? Seriously? <laughs> it goes back before the NFL. Um, so in Latin, or in, in Old English, to say hail, if I were to walk into church, I'd say, hey, you know, it means hello. So in a lot of ways, this was just a simple greeting to Mary. So people say, okay, so maybe 
Just greeting her doesn't necessarily make her anything special. But what about the line, you who are highly favored? I mean, that's not something that's normally said to people. Doesn't it mean that Mary has some special status? Yes and, and no. Um, yes, she obviously had a special role to play. But here's the thing. Mary did not earn that role because the word that's used for favored is the same root word as grace, which remember always means it's a gift. Um, And so in other words, God did not have an open job description, mother of my son, and then look for the most holy person and Mary won the contest. Mary, you're just better than anyone else and so you qualify for this. He chose Mary out of pure grace. That's what favored means, gifted, someone who's been given something by God. And verse 29 gives Mary's response. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. If I had to give a a one word to summarize Mary's response, I would give this deep theological word. Huh? (laughs) Mary was basically thinking, what? She's troubled, she's confused. She doesn't get it. And I say that is a perfect response to the grace of God. It is so bewildering. It is so inexplicable. Um, You know how you can tell if someone has really grasped the gospel, the grace of the gospel? If you say, tell me about your, you know, you you know, your faith. Tell me about, you know, when you became a Christian. And if someone says to you, oh, I've always been a Christian. You know, I mean, I've always believed in God and Jesus and, 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 you know, I'm I'm a good Christian person. If they say that, they've probably never really been struck by grace. Because when you really see the grace that's extended to you, your response should be, no. Me? Do you you know the kinds of things that I have thought, the kinds of doubts that I have had, the kind of anger I have nurtured, the people I've had trouble for? Me? Really? What? It should be so overwhelming to you that God would accept you. It's like the old hymn, you know, amazing love. How could it be? that thou, my God, shouldst die for me. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a basically good moral guy like me, right? (laughs) Oh, wretch, it should just strike you. Um, So Mary's initial response to this visit is so spot on because she realizes she is out of her league like all of us are when God's grace is extended to us. And if, as we're talking about this, if you just say, yeah, I'm not really there. Would you pray that at Christmas, that God would just whack you on the head with that? That while you're singing a Christmas carol or at the end of the service while you're receiving communion, that you'll just say, me? That you'll be confused and overwhelmed and therefore so grateful for it. This God who poured out his grace in you by sending his son to Bethlehem and then sending him to the cross for you. Now, let's see how Mary responds to God's plan. So the angel says, don't be afraid, you've found favor with God. There's that word again, grace, you've found grace with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. I really like this quote from Glenn Evans. God must reserve for himself the right of the initiative the right to break into my life without explanation or question. That shattering phone call, that disturbing letter may be the first stage of God's interruption in my life. And since God does the initiating, he must be responsible for the consequences. 
So that's what happened, right? God broke into Mary's life um, in a dramatic way, and he can do that because he's God. And Mary's question is extremely practical. Verse 34, she says, how will this be since I am a virgin? And here's how I'd summarize Mary's response to God's plan. How? It's just an honest question. Can you relate to Mary at all? That's kind of a strange question probably because, you know, her assignment was kind of unique. But, but think about this. When we're following the living God, he will call us to do things that seem too big for us. He, he, he will stretch us and he'll put us in situations that seem impossible. It's just kind of how he works. It's what he does. And I was thinking about some of the conversations I've had with people from the chapel. The guy who so thought that the whole cancer ordeal was behind him and has recently found out that it's recurred. And the question that he's asking to God is, how can this be? I, I, I believe that you're in this, that you're not absent from this, but how am I supposed to do this? Or the young single woman who's gone through several bouts of unemployment and now she just lost her job again. And the question she's asking is, how? God, I believe you've called me to this phase of life, but how am I supposed to do this? I don't know if I can see in me the resources to actually pull this off. Or the, the, the college guy who's so fired up about his faith and he's just, he's realized that there's nothing more important than, than serving and proclaiming the name of Christ. And he realizes nothing else will satisfy him besides going into full-time ministry. And yet he also realizes his family doesn't get it. His family doesn't support it. And he's asking the question, how will I do this? How will I practically, will I, how can I make a living in doing this? God, I hear your call, but I'm asking how I can do it. It seems like God just loves to do that. He loves to mess with our comfort zone. And he does it for churches too, not just people. You know, you know we took a survey a few months ago as a church as part of uh, a three-year planning process and mapping out the next three years of Jacksonville Chapel. And we really appreciate your prayer as we do that as leaders. Um, so next year, when we come to you with the ideas of this plan, if it sounds to you all very logical and very doable and very practical, you should be concerned. Because there should be parts of what you hear early next year that you go, how are we going to do that? That sounds like a stretch. That sounds a little crazy. Because I just think that's just where God wants us. That's where he wants his people. That's where he wants his church. So Mary, Mary encountered God's grace, and she said, huh? She encountered God's plan, and she said, how? And then here's the final thing. She encounters God, God's power. So here's really the answer to her how question. Verse 35, the angel answered, here's how it's going to happen. The Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. In other words, this is going to be a supernatural thing. I'm not saying, Mary, that you've got to try really hard to pull this off. What I'm saying is that you have to allow God to work through you. Offer yourself to him. Yield yourself to him. Richard Stearns, uh, who is the president of World Vision, tweeted this last week, quote, God's plan for us does not rely on our greatness, but on his. Whatever you face, he will see you through. And I would say this, if God has placed you in some tough situation and you're asking the how question, God, how could this be? The answer is not your resolve. The answer is not, you just got to try harder than you've tried before. Grit your teeth, say, I know I can do it. It's by turning to God in confidence and saying, God, I don't have this at all. You have to do it. 
And then just being so confident in him that you say, okay, I'm going to stay in this. Remember, Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. But if you abide in me, if you yield yourself to me, you will produce much fruit. The character and the power of Christ will be produced through your life. Just like Mary, you will sort of conceive and give birth to supernatural stuff that doesn't ultimately come from you. And of course, Mary is internally still struggling with this. So the angel says, Mary, if you're having a hard time believing it's possible, um, look, verse 36, even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. So the angel uses the example that Mary knows about of Elizabeth. And he says, nobody thought she could have a baby either. She's in her sixth month. She's showing right now. So Elizabeth and Mary were like these two extremes. For Elizabeth, it seemed like it was way too late to have a baby. For Mary, it seemed like it was way too early to have a baby. But both are happening because no word from God will ever fail. Or in some translations, for nothing will be impossible with God. A lot of you were here this last fall when we talked about the miracles of Jesus. We walked through the Gospel of John and the miracles. And the last one that we looked at was the raising of Lazarus, when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. Um, the idea that we were talking about is that when things seem hopeless, there's hope because of the power of Christ. And that same week, right after that, there was a woman from the chapel who was taking her daughter in to a medical facility to have a biopsy because there was a, a cancer diagnosis. The young woman, this daughter, was completely stressed out. She was worried about her future. She was worried about her kids. She was worried about her treatment. And so on the drive to this hospital, the mother was telling her daughter about this sermon that she had just heard, about Lazarus, about how Jesus shows up in our dark places and, and brings hope, and how Lazarus is this great example of that. So they got in the doctor's office. They were brought into the uh, examination room. A few minutes later, the doctor walked in, and he put out his hand, and he said, hello, I'm Dr. Lazarus. <laughs> and it's a true story. And the woman said, my daughter and I looked at each other, and we just knew God is completely in this, and that it is going to be okay. And by the way, she's doing really well, um, because nothing is impossible with God. Um, and it's awesome to see how Mary responds to this. Here it is, verse 38. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. And then the angel left her. I would summarize Mary's response with one word. You know the word? Yes. It's a yes of trust. It's a yes of submission. It's a yes of, of obedience. And, and the rest is history. And so here's the question for us. What's the situation in my life now where I'm wrestling with God and I need to say yes? Lord, I don't, it's not because I've got it all figured out. It's not because I know that I'm confident I'll know the next steps to take. But I'm saying yes to you, to the thing that you're drawing me to do out of my comfort zone. I'm not going to take the easy way out. I'm not going to avoid it. I'm going to be present in it. And I'm going to say yes and allow you to work. So my answer is yes. I am your servant. May it be to me as you have said. I think that's what we learn from Mary. Was she an ordinary person? Absolutely. Chosen by God's grace, scared to death of the whole thing. Very human. But what makes her so special is that she decided to submit herself to God's will. When we follow that example, it just opens up the door for God to do extraordinary things through us. So we're going to close today by sharing in communion. So let me call the servers if you would 
get up and get ready to serve us. We talked a lot this morning about, about grace. Um, and that's the basis by which God chose Mary, not because she earned the role, but because God chose her. Um, God forgives us and welcomes us into his family, not because we're good enough, but by his grace, right? Um, God uses us in his plan, not because we qualify for the role, but just because of his grace. So anything good in our lives, it is a gift from God, right? But here's the thing, let me say this really clearly, grace is not free, and it's free to us, um, but, it, but it wasn't free to God. Uh, it's incredibly costly to God, because in order for him to extend all this grace to us, God had to first do something about the thing that blocks us from God in, in our lives, and that is our sin. And God's love for us is so great that he was willing to do something incredibly costly to open up the door for grace to come to us. And so he gave up the thing that was most precious to him. He gave us his son at Bethlehem. And then 33 years later, he sent his son to the cross to be judged in our place. And so in a moment, you're gonna be holding this little uh, bread in your hands. And Jesus said about that, this is my body. <laughs> and you're gonna be holding this little cup of juice in your hands. And Jesus said about that, this is my blood. And I just want you to realize when you're holding those things, you are holding in your hands evidence of God's love for you. Um, you are holding in your hands evidence of the fact that he was willing to do anything so that he could give you his grace. And so let's join our hearts and pray. Ushers, you can come on forward as we thank God for what we're about to do. Our Father, would you give us clear realization of the gift that we have received in Jesus Christ? And Lord, as we receive the bread, as we receive the cup this morning, I pray that we'll be reminded it's all from you. We're not good enough, but you love us anyway. And I pray that would so fill our hearts with gratitude that it would change us this Christmas. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.